Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions of space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and in this episode, I have an insightful chat with my friend, Dan Van Rossum, the CXO of Workplace Experience Operator, Dreamplex. We'll hear more about that job title shortly. Dan joined me virtually from Vietnam, where the future of work is full speed ahead. Get ready to lean in. Dan shares how Dreamplex is helping fast-growing companies of 20 to 200 people compete against the best companies in the world for talent through their workplace experience as a service offering. Not to be confused with space as a service, we're going to learn more about the difference between those two terms in this episode. Dan goes on to explain the principles of UX thinking, that's user experience thinking, aka customer experience, and he has some advice for landlords who want to move from B2B to B2C and become customer-centric. Now, as always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker, or just DM me on LinkedIn. You might notice that I had a cold when recording this episode, so please excuse my scratchy voice. But I still did manage to engage in a fun debate with Dan about brand. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm joined by Dan Van Rossum, all the way from Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, to talk about workplace experience as a service. Dan is the CXO at Dreamplex. Yes, I said CXO. That's the Chief Experience Officer. The role is similar to what startups call head of product, which means Dan is responsible for product design and delivery of the Dreamplex experience. Dreamplex currently operates five locations in Vietnam and is planning to triple in the next two years with a goal to support 30,000 people by providing workplace experience as a service, a term I'm very excited to hear about. Welcome to the Work Bowl podcast, Dan. Hey, Caleb. Nice to be here. So, so, Dan, great to have you on. So, Dan, first I have to ask, and I'm sure everybody's wondering right now, they were probably expecting a slightly different accent be, being that you're from Vietnam, but you're not really from Vietnam. You're in Vietnam now. So what took you to Vietnam and where are you from? Yeah, great question. So yeah, both my name and my accent aren't uh, very, very Vietnamese. Um, I don't speak a lot of Vietnamese either. Um, how did I get to Vietnam? I would always say by by airplane. But uh, the, the longer <laughs> uh, answer to, to that question is basically that uh, I used to work in marketing strategy before I went into this field. And I worked for a, a marketing agency called Ogilvy. I worked uh, with them in Amsterdam, which is where I'm originally from, uh, very near where you are now. And then I moved to the U.S. I lived in uh, New York and Chicago and eventually moved to Singapore because Chicago was too cold. Um, and then finally moved from Singapore to uh, to Saigon, um, which is in the south of, uh, of Vietnam. Um, and so that's where I'm still uh, today. That's fascinating. And I suppose the weather is much better where you are than where I am sitting in London right now. Oh, what's the weather over there? <laughs> Cold and rainy right now. A typical London uh, stereotype. Yeah, I was going to say that could be like midsummer. Midsummer, where you are. <laughs> where, where you are, right? Isn't it always cold and rainy? Uh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that is that is the stereotype. But to be fair, London does get its fair share of nice sunny days, um, but it also gets a lot more cold rainy days. Well, OK, uh, enough about the weather. Um, you and I are fellow cohorts, uh, different classes, but in the Real Innovation Academy with Dror and Anthony. Oh, and right. I want to I want to just talk about something Anthony always says. And he says that companies don't want an office, they want a productive workforce. And going back to you guys at Dreamplex providing workplace experience as a service, I, I want to understand the difference between workplace as a service and space as a service in your mind. What's the difference? Why is that important? Right. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And, and Anthony obviously says a lot of really smart things. But I think this is one of the quotes that, you know, I always tell to to my clients. Um, you know, I, I usually put it in front of them. I just say, like, I know you don't want an office. And then usually they look very confused because they think they come to us for an office. <laughs> um, but I say, I know you don't want an office. You know, you just want a productive workforce. You want the output of what an office can provide. Um, but then when we start to talk to them, usually we get to the conversation about, well, the truth is that, yes, you know, the office can provide a productive workforce, but that doesn't just happen with just an office. So it doesn't happen with just space. It's really the entire experience that you can deliver within within a workplace. So really, we're talking probably about the same thing. 
but probably we approach it a bit more from, you know, the tenant occupier perspective and think about, you know, what would they really want and how can we deliver that? And so basically what we have looked at is sort of like, what do the best companies in the world do to deliver these like really rich, engaging, generative workplace experiences where, you know, they create an atmosphere that attracts really great talent and that engages people on a daily basis, get them to do their best work and also therefore retains people. And usually when you talk to companies, that's one of their biggest pain points, you know, to attract, to engage and retain talent. And so that's really what we, what we talk about. We talk about workplace experience. We say, yes, a space is great. A beautiful space is even better. Um, but there's a lot of other things that an office needs to do to, to get to that end goal of having a productive or, you know, collaborative, uh, engaged, creative uh, workforce. I mean, that sounds great and at a high level and in theory sounds amazing, but what is a workplace as a service experience? Can you talk about some examples on a practical level? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so again, I think, you know, like you said, my, my role as chief experience officer is very similar to a head of product at a, at a startup. So I'm really just looking at the total product we're delivering and always looking at how can we improve. And part of that is, of course, you know, the customer feedback that we're getting is the data that we're collecting, but it's also just looking around again to some of the best companies in the world and, and how are they doing it. And so when you're looking at something like, you know, Drawer, the other guy that we probably should mention at this point, uh, the, what Drawer wrote in his book about, you know, how WeWork really was modeled after the Googleplex and how Googleplex really was modeled after a college campus, you know, they, they really approached that kind of space, uh, that kind of like office environment as a place for the whole self where where your entire being sort of like gets everything that you want. And when you think about what people want, you know, what employees want and therefore what what tenants, aka companies should want, it's a lot more than just a place to work. And so you really get into things like, um, you know, obviously socializing, especially in the post COVID workplace, right? It is about running into people, meeting people, uh, maybe informally meeting with people. But it's also things like growth and development, right? I think a lot of what we get out of work is 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 the opportunity to grow, to learn more about ourselves, to kind of hone our our job skills, our soft skills. Um, it's things like well-being. So you know, great companies always support their employees and physical well-being, mental well-being. Um, and then you know, when you when you think about you know, how do you sort of like really complete that? You get into things like how do you help companies transform from the inside out? So we also support a lot on you know, management, best practices, leadership training, those kind of things. So really sort of like all the things that an employee would want from, you know, the best workplace in the world. We basically package all of that up and deliver it as a service. So in the same way that, you know, consumers don't buy MP3s anymore, you just pay, you know, a couple of bucks a month every month to Spotify or Apple Music, right? You don't have to own it anymore. Um, you just kind of like pay for it on a subscription basis. So in the same way, we basically bundle all of those services that a company would need to uh, attract, engage, and retain the best talent in the market. And we just do it on a, on a monthly uh, membership basis. And that together then creates that thing that we call workplace experience as a service. That's, that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I'm, I'm just, one thing that strikes me is on the professional development aspect. Um, I would, I, I, in my mind, I think, okay, well, you've got different types of industries, different sectors. How do you, as the let's say outsource provider of this experience, facilitate a professional growth um, platform that can appeal to a variety of sectors or are you focusing in on one sector? Yeah, first of all, I, uh, Caleb, I love that you said outsourced <laughs> because I think that's what the, the point that Jamie uh, Hodari from, from Industries always makes, right? We're really just a total outsourced workplace provider uh, with all the sort of like facets of that, of that product. Um, and so, yeah, so, so specifically to your question, how do you make sure that, you know, you offer something from a professional development perspective that fits everyone? And this really goes back to, you know, collecting data, generating insights. You know, when we ask people, what do you want to learn? What would help you to develop as a professional? Very much in line with, you know, World Economic Forum said, what are the 10 top skills that everyone needs in the 21st century? It really isn't job specific skills because that kind of stuff you usually learn on the job. But it is things like critical thinking, um, design, um, collaboration, communication, leadership, and those things we can actually really easily offer because they're quite industry agnostic. They're, they're typically even role agnostic. These are kind of like the basic things 
um, that people need. And so for a company, basically, again, to not have to worry about that, you know, we target companies between usually 20 to 30 to about 200 people. So, you know, they wouldn't have a strategic HR team. They wouldn't have a trading and development team. So they don't have to worry about that. They basically just like take it as part of the, the total bundle that we give them. But they can now offer their their employees something that usually only larger companies can offer, which is, you know, every month or every five weeks, a new course uh, starts, which is, you know, we call that Dreamplex Academy. Um, and that is usually one of those uh, one of those skills. Um, and, and, you know, people love taking advantage of that, um, uh, you know, no matter what the role is that that they have. And is that, and this might be more of a practical question, but is, is that something that is all inclusive in uh, the, the, the price that the company is paying for that team member? Or is that an add-on that people can choose to pay for as and when? Yeah, no, no, it's, it is included um, for the, the larger companies that we, that we really kind of like partner with as an outsourced workplace experience provider. Um, that's fully included. Fascinating. Okay. Now, well, now there is sort of like, yeah, I was kind of hesitating because you, there is sort of like also the, the in, in, in what you probably would recognize as the, the EasyJet model or the Ryanair model. There are obviously cheaper options in terms of like cheaper subscription uh, or cheaper memberships where it's something that you can, uh, can add on. Um, and in that case, you basically get it with a discount versus the normal price, but you would pay for it. So do, do you think this workplace experience around the, this dynamic content piece and, and everything that's wrapped into this. Is this, does this differ from market to market? Uh, is there something special about Vietnam that made it successful or do you think it's transferable? Yeah, I, I think that Vietnam is generally very special. There's a couple of things that are so different for, uh, about Vietnam versus other countries. And I think that's what attracted me in the first place. Um, you know, I think the first thing is that Vietnam is just such a, young country. So it's expected that, you know, over 25% of the workforce in just three years will be Gen Z. So it's really a young country. And, and you really see that in everything. Uh, our spaces are filled to the brim with uh, with young people under 30, uh, not to date myself too much, but, um, you know, young people, I, I would say, you know, really make up the majority of uh, of the employees that, that sit within a Dreamplex. So I think that's one thing that's quite special, especially when you think about it from like a growth and development perspective, the things that you want in your early 20s, mid 20s are very different from what you maybe would want to learn or what you would want to grow in, in your 40s, 50s. I think that is something that makes it quite unique to work here. Um, the other thing is that, you know, the the market really is in, in, in an upswing. I remember moving here from Singapore about five years ago, and it just was so different from 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 Singapore in the sense that Singapore, even though it's in, in Southeast Asia, it's very much kind of like a mature developed market. There isn't really that much growth anymore, which means there isn't that much excitement. You know, I think, you know, with the bold brand, you really embrace that, that sense of entrepreneurship that, you know, literally that boldness of kind of like mm -hmm. going at, you know, different things. And um, that's just something that, you know, we didn't really see, see there. And then when I moved here, you know, you just have that feeling of like, there's something happening on every street corner. Um, it's just like a really lively kind of um, vibe. And then you're just really seeing you know, the entrepreneurial spirit, like so many young people start their own company, they start their own business. I think when I first uh, worked in an office here, I would say that about 25 to 30% of people had some kind of like a side gig in terms of like selling stuff online, having a little Facebook shop. Um, so that is something that's just so unique about Vietnam. It's so entrepreneurial. And even sort of after COVID, you can see that, you know, almost every economy in the world and even in the region, is either stalling or contracting, but Vietnam is actually still increasing, sort of projecting a GDP growth this year, um, which is very unique. Um, and then I think, yeah, we have to kind of like talk about, you know, COVID uh, as well, uh, you know, as the third point of what makes you, Vietnam so unique. You know, we are kind of in a, I sort of always call it like a post-COVID country. Um, you know, like we, we did have COVID obviously because we border China to the north. So we were probably closer to the source than, than anyone else. Um, but it was so well contained that we very quickly went into sort of like going back to how it was before, although obviously some things from an office perspective did change sort of like based on those learnings. So what I found uh, that you repeated often in this last like question was young and talking about the younger generation and the excitement um, and that plays into this workplace experience. And 
often I hear, and, and you also mentioned WeWork earlier on in, in how they model their experience after Googleplex. Um, so <laughs> I want to point out your company, your brand is called Dreamplex. Are you playing off the Googleplex and actually young people having dreams there? Well, I have to say that the name was chosen like well before I joined, so <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot really comment on that. I do think that there was always that idea from our founder who was basically the first one in Vietnam to start a uh, originally a co-working space. And I think the idea was always that, you know, like there could be something so much more exciting about real estate if we think sort of beyond what is the traditional ways of like taking a building, chopping it up into 12 floors and getting 12 tenants. So his idea was always to build some kind of like a complex of different kind of like elements. And he was really early on, he was really thinking about you know, that could be work, but it could also be play, that could also be co-living, uh, all those things. Um, on the dream side, yeah, obviously, because we have that name, yeah, we use that a lot in sort of like the, the copywriting Branding, and stuff like yeah. that, which, which you'll appreciate, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's just, um, it, it, it just leads up to the point that I was going to get to on this, because I think a lot of people in real estate, um, there, there's they're divided into sort of two camps, people that embrace the, the dream and embrace the, the newness and leaning into the future and the innovators of the world. And then you have everyone else who, who, really, doesn't <laughs> want, who really doesn't want to change and move forward. And I'm probably not. I know where because, we fall. <laughs> say again. I know where we fall, the two of us. Well, I hope so. Um, but and I, I, I have to say, I, I'm, I'm not being fair because there are a lot more people that are leaning into the future now. And I'm excited and encouraged by that. But yeah. There are a lot of people that say that the the WeWork idea um, that you know space as a service or workplace experience as a service, everything that we're talking about here is not sustainable. Um, is is really just for the younger kids? And so, how do you? And going back to my question about transferring to different markets, how about does, does this? And, and I know you said that the professional development um, is is across all roles across all industries, leadership. Yeah, I get that. But is this whole experience, you talked about this being young, driven by the young people and the younger generation. Is this whole experience transferable to an older industry, insurance, um, finance, legal? Um, and hmm. you know, no offense to anyone listening about me saying older industry, but these are older industries. And quite often there's um, highly experienced people working in these industries. So you see where I'm going? Is there is there a disconnect there? Or do you think this is the future for everyone? Yeah, the, the interesting thing, I think, especially because you just mentioned branding, right? And I think this also goes back to kind of like proposition and strategy, you know, with Bolt as an example, right? You've really pinpointed like who you want to focus on and therefore also who you don't want to focus on. And I think that's the strength of like any good product, any good brand is to say like, look, we know who we want to target and therefore everyone else sort of like falls outside of it. And that's okay, because that's by design. And so I think that, you know, for our market, yeah, it is it is a young market. Um, and, and therefore it's really not that bad to kind of like create a product that's targeted towards that. And I would say those industries that you mentioned, like even those in Vietnam, you know, again, the majority of the people that work there uh, are really young people. Um, and maybe just to kind of like provide a little bit of cultural context, that is that, you know, this is really the first generation um, who may have like an older brother or sister, but this is really the first generation that has gone through, you know, continued education um, that has maybe like a university degree. So if companies want to hire people that, you know, are skilled and that, you know, know how to take on those kind of roles, they are typically younger. And I think that's why you're seeing that, you know, with this product and, and, and generally the market really targets towards um, those like those younger people. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there, and that, that goes back to something I've said many times on this podcast. You have to put the customer at the center of the universe, and you started out this podcast today talking about that, and I think this is what real estate needs to do is, is we think about who do we want to target mm. to be the occupiers and the customers of our buildings, and what do they need and what do their employees need? put that at the center of the universe and that will drive our strategy. So well done, well done to you that, for doing this. That, that, that sounds so logical. So so maybe the counter question would be, so why don't they do that? Like what's, <laughs> what, would, what would hold you from, from doing that? B, 
because they haven't taken Drawer and Anthony's class yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I agree. It is, it is logical. Um, all right. So I want to move to this next question. And um, you mentioned COVID earlier. So in the post-COVID workplace, how are you planning, or what are you thinking about how you design these engaging workplaces we're talking about? Yeah, so basically, this this really goes back to again, we're gonna. There's gonna be a couple of keywords that obviously come out of this. The design will be one of them, um, and I think, you know, what you were just saying about you know, you start with people, right? I think people and humans is not mentioned enough in real estate, right? And we're we're talking about spaces for people. Like, there's literally no other purpose for offices than spaces for people. Well, I would say some of our customers now. Put a lot of emphasis on data centers but okay fine like if we forget about the server room you know we're really talking about people these are spaces and places that have to bring people together and have to facilitate them doing great work so in that sense the pre and post COVID isn't all that different because our philosophy our approach is still and should be for everyone you start with the employee with the person you think about what would they need to have a great day at work and then you basically build your entire um product around it, right? So again, that's the physical experience, but it's also the hospitality layer. It's also all the programming that you do, all the programs that you offer. Uh, and then finally, in our case, also the technology layer on top of that. So in that sense, it's not not all that different. But I think in this market, and I think you'll see it in other markets when they open up again, the big difference pre and post COVID really is in you know, the fact that companies have realized and, you know, we've seen headline after headline of companies realizing this sort of in real time, right? We've seen it unfold before our eyes. Companies have realized that employees can and will do work, good work, even when they're not, you know, sitting in an office with the manager looking over their shoulder. You can give people objectives, you can give people OKRs and people will do work. Wait, and you, so are I you think suggesting we can trust employees? <laughs> I know, I know this is, uh, you know, we may be taken off air after this, you know, <laughs> this is just like, <laughs> how, how could, how could we say this? But yeah, I think companies have realized that you can trust people and, and that there is more to work in terms of motivation than just the paycheck at the end of the month. And that the more you create workplaces and company cultures, which is really what we talk about a lot that center around that idea of trust and, 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 you know, sort of like autonomy and letting people do the work in the way that they want to do, that you actually get much more engagement and you actually get much more out of people and much better work out of people. And so I think, again, like post COVID with that realization in mind, I do think that companies have embraced flexibility a lot more. I do see here, even though we only had two weeks of like true lockdown, social isolation, it was enough for companies to a, digitize all their fi file folders. <laughs> that was number one, especially the HR and finance teams. And B, realize that, hey, you know, in order to make this work, we need to give people OKRs. We need to give people sort of like clear guidelines of what is expected from them without having the ability and opportunity to micromanage them. And I think they've taken that forward. And you also see that in terms of like how companies are now more flexible and letting people work, you know, from home, maybe a couple of days, maybe not being so strict about when you have to be in the office. We're seeing companies come in with different requirements in terms of how many desks do they need for how many people. There's less of that sense of, I have 50 people, so I need 50 desks. So I do see the evolution there. Yeah, it's, it, we're, we're seeing the same thing here. Um, you know, we're, we're working with some companies where they may have um, 25 employees, and, and I'm talking about an SME um, a small business um, right now, but they might have 25 employees. And in the past, they might be looking for a space for 25 desks, but now they're looking for a space for seven to 10 desks because most people are going to work from home um, first, and then they're going to come into the office as and when they need to. And they have the flexibility to obviously scale up into um, into the open plan areas if they have too many people in the office at the mm. same time. Um, or book a meeting room if they needed more privacy or, or any of the private spaces that we have. So I think that's a, right. a trend that we and, are. And all of this see. is completely new, right? All of this is completely new. Before COVID, no company realized that desks were sitting empty 50% of the time. No companies realized they're paying 24 seven for meeting rooms. They only use two hours per week, <laughs> right? All of this is like news. How, <laughs> how this did is, we not see this? This is the thing. This is the thing. And so it seems like there's a few different trends here uh, coming together because 
we've got this this trend or this um, this awakening. I'm going to say that uh, the underutilization of of workspace work is 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 happening. It's there. It's it's been there. Mm. Combined with the fact that we know that we can work from home, so why do we need to keep that workspace if it's underutilized? If people can work from home, but then also this movement towards trusting people, and then from our industry, how do we create dynamic workplace experiences that then put that human at the center of the universe? And so, you know, we've been talking on the podcast a lot about, and I, you know, on my LinkedIn post, I've talked about this a lot too how we're moving from business to business um, to business to customer, business to consumer. Mm. Of course, my friend Andrea likes to say human to human, but mm. <laughs> I, I'm, what advice would you give to other operators or you know landlords that are looking to move and become more B2C? Right. So, so basically like really the point that you're making here is that, you know, companies uh, in this, in this industry, in this space, need to become more consumer centric, right? And 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 I, I would call it employee centric because you're talking about employees, but but it is consumer centric, people centric. So what do you do when you want to deliver something great for people, right? Usually you ask them, <laughs> right? You can survey them. You can ask like, what do you like about your current office situation? What do you not like about it? Um, what would you love to improve? If there's one thing that we could add, what would it be? Um, that's one. That's one way to collect data. Another way to collect data, and again, I'm just like going back to principles of, of, of design, principles of user experience, which is you have to understand before you can prototype and you have to prototype before you can build. Uh, and as Anthony always would say, you know, and then you have to like build, measure, learn, right? And then the whole cycle kind of like starts again. So it really is about collecting data. It really is about building that deep understanding of who you're designing this product for. Um, and so like any startup would do or any innovative company would do, you have to collect the data. So Can I stop you there real one, quick? Sorry. Of course. Uh, of course. On, on, on collecting the data, because I think that gets said a lot. And then I get asked questions often, well, what data do we need to be collecting? So what data do we need to be collecting, Dan? Yeah. So so again, just to go, I mean, it's a good question. And, and especially because I worked in marketing, you know, for 10 years before it is, I know that there definitely gets collected a lot more data than, you know, insights being generated and and then things being done because of those insights it's 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 very it's very rare that something happens because of data that we collect because typically you know it kind of like lends into a report or it's on a dashboard somewhere and we don't really do anything with it so again going back to kind of like principles of ux thinking you really want to understand the person and therefore you know you could do you could do surveys you could ask people you could ask people straight up um you know like this is really what the best employers in the world are doing they're doing continuous studies into their employees. Uh, what do they want? How is that shifting over time? So that's that's one way. And that could be a one-off survey. It could also be, you know, what they call pulse pulse surveys. So basically ongoing surveys that get sent out every week, every two weeks, but maybe just one or two questions, but it gives you a good trend line of what's happening. But it's obviously in, in an office, there's so much other data that we can collect, right? So you can uh, do what, uh, you know, designers do which is basically space observation. You, so you can sit somewhere and see, you know, what gets used, what doesn't. But obviously now, um, and you know, let's not reference that course too much, but it was a whole chapter about sensors, right? So now it's so easy to put sensors into, into offices, see what spaces get used, what spaces don't get used. If you're running any kind of app or any kind of platform in your space to, for example, book meeting rooms, but also to engage with other tenants or with other employees, to book uh, tickets for events that maybe the space may be offering. All of that creates data that tells you either what you're offering is in demand or it's not in demand, right? And then the second step is basically, okay, let's make sense of that data because just knowing that a meeting room, for example, has a 12% utilization rate is not really gonna do much for you. Then you still need to dive into the human aspect of that and say, okay, let me do a little uh, snap survey. So I'm gonna ask 10 people over the course of a day that just came out of that meeting room and I want to ask them, uh, hey, you just used this meeting room. Um, you know, what did you like about it? What did you not like about it? Do you book it a lot? No, why not? Right. So then you can make sense of the data. But there's so much data out there that can be collected. It's really all about understanding what you're trying to understand and therefore what is the measurement that you need to take. 
So I get this question asked a lot as well in regards to um, to this, the sensors and the, the, the IoT and the, the hardware and the software costs mm. that go into being able to facilitate this. And that question is, what KPIs do you measure to then justify an ROI on the investment into this technology? Yeah, so so usually, you know, being being an ex-strategist, recovering strategist, I, I would say usually I always use the same answer, which is, you know, what's the cost of doing? Well, let's talk about what's the cost of not doing, right? What's the cost of not understanding? Um, I think the KPIs or the, or sort of like the goals, the, the, the research goals that you could set for a project um, could be around, you know, if we have a certain amount of space and it's being underutilized or it's not being leveraged in the right way, and therefore it's not driving the kind of customer satisfaction that we want for that particular space, then it's costing you money. So what does that what does that amount look like on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis, on a 10 year lease basis, right? If you have a lounge that that gets totally underutilized and you could you could measure that for, you know, you don't have to like install those sensors, like buy them and install those sensors for the rest of your life. You could just do like a one month research project to get all the data, you know, see what people use, what they don't use, and then and then get sort of some, you know, qualitative data on top of that to understand the data um, and then make changes to it and you improve how much people use it and therefore your space becomes more attractive and therefore you retain your tenants. I mean, that's that's that, that's a very clear one. And I'm saying it as someone who has to spend this money, right? So I'm saying it as someone who has to invest the money to do these kind of research projects. But, but for us, it's always been worth it. It's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. I want to move to the next question. It's um, slightly different, but um, everything you're saying sounds amazing. And 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 from my perspective, I, you know, cost you know cost aside, let's say there's a, a cost benefit analysis that makes cost makes sense or equal. Why would someone not choose Dreamplex in you know in your market? What what is, is there a big competitor or are there other limitations? What what stops people from becoming your customer? Oh yeah. So so first of all, I think it's it's good to acknowledge that we have you know a clear vision of I think what the office should be. Um, of course, I'm part of this company, so I, I say it within the context of this company. But I actually believe there's a much bigger opportunity, which is actually to inspire everyone. You know, maybe we start with Vietnam, but everyone who runs an office to think more about what it's like for the people in those offices. Um, so I, I think it's mission first, and obviously it's company second. But don't don't tell my uh, my CEO. <laughs> uh, or maybe especially my CFO. When we talk about competition specifically for the company, I would say the biggest competition probably is still people running their own workplaces. I don't see so much competition sort of, you know, from one workplace provider versus another one. Um, I think the market is big enough for all of us to sort of like take our part of it. Uh, and I think we're differentiated enough in terms of the product that, you know, people typically you know, if they if they want to go with with something like what we offer, then then they would go then they would go with us. But the the real competitor um, is is the traditional office, and usually that really kind of it really comes from the fact that that companies just are not asking themselves the hard questions. And again, I do think it has changed a little bit since COVID, and and you know realizing that oh maybe you know just functional workspace, functional office space is not enough to engage my people and to make them feel excited to come in and to stay with my company, right? To retain that talent, you know, maybe I do need to, to offer a little bit more. And, you know, if I just do a quick strapple in my, in my, in my office, people want cafe space. Well, I don't have money to, to build a cafe in my office. I don't have the space to do that. Right. So then that share product makes a little bit more sense. So we do see a little bit more after, after COVID, but hey, I mean, the majority of companies, that's obviously the, the, the clear uh, and the fair reality is that the majority of companies still don't think about, you know, why they are renting an office and therefore they just go on and, and rent a traditional office, right? They, they don't think about, you know, what is really the opportunity here? Um, and that's usually, you know, the main competitor is traditional office and, and companies doing it themselves. So Dan, one thing we haven't discussed is your operating model. And I'm, I'm curious, I'm pretty sure um, those listening will be, will want to know, do you guys own the buildings you're in? Do you lease? Do you operate a management agreement model, JV? Can you just tell us about your operating model? Yeah, yeah, sure. More than happy to to share. So we've been on a journey. I would say we started five years ago. We were a, a co-working space, typical co-working space, um, very 
colorful wall art, uh, funky looking desks, a lot of shared open space. Um, and that was the first one in Vietnam. It attracted every single startup in the country. It was extremely successful, but it was basically from an operating perspective. It was a lease uh, where we kind of like did the fit out and then rented it out into smaller units, basically, right? It's a typical co-working model. Um, and then we've launched more spaces since. Um, they were also under a traditional lease uh, model where we would invest, we would do the fit out, we run it. That's how we make our money. And then actually right around COVID, that's really where things started changing, um, where we started learning about how other players internationally um, were sort of looking into this partnership model or embracing the partnership model. And so everything we've done this year um, and everything we're planning to do uh, moving forward is under under a partnership. Um, so in those cases, we would partner with the landlord, as you know, but it, you would partner with the landlord. Um, they would uh, invest in, in, the, in the CapEx. And then we really just come in as the operator, as the experienced operator that can can deliver this product uh, in a way that, you know, a, a building owner couldn't do by themselves. And I think the more that this becomes, the more complex it gets to run a workplace, the more I think those landlords will approach us uh, and ask if we can run it for them. And that's, I think, what we've really been seeing over the last six months is that I think the amount of inquiries from landlords to partner with us and to run a great, beautiful workplace within their buildings, really get the most out of their building, not only from a revenue perspective, but also the potential that that building has, you know, so like an amazing, lively, well-branded product where people come in and smile and are happy and they're enjoying coming to work there versus, you know, just leasing it out, chopping it up into 12 pieces and getting 12 traditional lease tenants in there, you know, also from that side, the perspective, uh, we've seen that increase tremendously. And so everything we're looking forward to for this and next year is all partnerships. Well, that's, I mean, that's the way to go. I, obviously, I believe that. I've been a big proponent of management agreements and partnerships. Um, we, we know, and I would say that, you know, <laughs> we, we owe you a huge debt of gratitude because I think it's really because of the podcast, you know, that we were even able to be exposed to s such thinking, right? That we heard from all these other companies that were going through that sort of like process. Um, and that really brought us into, you know, again, like I always say that the work bold podcast is almost like a, you know, it's kind of like a school that people have to take maybe together oh. with the real, uh, the real innovation course. But if you want to do anything in this industry, and if you want to do anything beyond what maybe has been done for the last couple of decades, you just start with episode one and you make your way through <laughs> and that's your schooling right there. And so like, honestly, like we've picked up a lot of these things from the podcast and then you know, kind of like dug into it a little bit more, you know, you, we, we find out about certain operators, we find out about certain models and then, you know, we can research further. Um, but yeah, we have to, again, that just like a huge thank you to you for bringing that out and sharing that with, with the community. Well, that is, that's just so kind of you to say, I, I really appreciate you sharing that with me because it just makes my day. I mean, we, we, we've been doing this because, um, we, we just came across so many different questions um, in, in our conversations with landlords, and we wanted to be able to facilitate some of these answers, not from our own mm -hmm. brains. We had our own thoughts, yeah. but we wanted to bring the best minds together to, to talk about this and, and build the future together. So I'm, I'm so pleased to hear you share that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and thank you for coming on today. I'm not finished yet, of course, but um, I have to say that. Uh, earlier, you said two things that I want to touch on and one was how you don't see other operators too much as competitors and you also talked about brand and how there's different brands and and if we go back to the what the foundation of this business to consumer in putting the customer and the human at the center of the universe and deliver an experience for that person and then you've basically you're delivering on a brand you're becoming a brand and I, I think the future, as we grow from the small percentage of the overall office market to whatever it's going to end up at, 30, 40, 50 percent, um, you're right. Other operators aren't really competitors because there's going to be room for all of us. And if we are really good at, at defining our brand, then landlords will affiliate and associate and call the brand that they want on their building to attract the right customer. Totally, so, totally. Yeah, I just I I'm excited that you said all these things and I just wanted to put it in in that phrasing. 
But if you think about it, like brand, I always think about, again, this is my, my background is in, in branding and marketing, right? And so for me, brand is kind of like all the tangibles and intangibles of something that you experience, right? Because that's like sort of like the label that you put on it or like the slot in your brain that you give it um, from if you, we talk about positioning. And I think that's really what we need to do, right? We need to do something where I think, again, what WeWork did really, really well um, and, and, and I completely agree with what Drawer wrote in the book, like no matter what was said after, you know, sort of like mm. things escalated maybe a bit too much. I mean, they introduced something that took the model that already existed, the idea that already existed in terms of shared offices and business centers, but they made it a branded experience and that is what set it apart. Right. And that they eventually called it a technology company and asked forty seven mm -hmm. billion dollars in an IPO, you know, <laughs> that aside. But they did that thing, which is basically you know, people want to be part of something, right? If you read like Seth Godin's tribes, right? People want to be part of groups. They want to be part of something. And I think that all culminates into something that we would call brand. And yes, I think having a strong brand and people knowing what you stand for and therefore what you don't stand for and therefore who you attract and don't attract is super key in sort of this future of the office where then a, a landlord can say, you know, that really fits with the total concept of my building, you know, that would enhance the, the the overall feeling that people would have when they come to my building. And I think, again, why something like NewFlex is so smart, because you're basically giving the opportunity to kind of like work with different brands within within sort of like the same company. So I think, yeah, brand is just hugely important. Do you think that in the future office, we'll see buildings that have the operator brand on the outside of it? So when people know when they go into the building what to expect? So, so I'm like very, I haven't really made up my mind about this, but on the, on the one, on the one hand, I feel like it's so powerful to sort of see one word or see one logo and you immediately know what it is. I think that's, you know, that is very powerful. I think that's also why, you know, big building projects, you know, want to brand themselves, right? Because they want to be a destination. It needs to be something that people recognize, you know, not just be because of what's inside the building, but the whole concept together. So on the one hand, I sort of see the benefit on the other side. And I think this is the discussion that we've had a lot, especially in our transition from really traditional co-working towards more of like an enterprise or like a larger SME enterprise partner is that, you know, people don't want to sit in a co-working space. They don't want to sit in someone else's brand. They want to sit in their own brand, because when you think about, you know, the other side of, of, of the conversation that I have a lot, which is employer branding. You know, a company is also a brand and that brand attracts employees and that brand should be central to the office experience. And so when you highly brand an office and, you know, when you work around, for example, let's just use the example because we talked about it before. When you walk around a WeWork, you know, the WeWork stickers are everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. You cannot escape the feeling that you're in a WeWork and that obviously has benefits. But I think it also has a downside for those companies that say, well, first and foremost, I want people to feel like they're working in my office for my company. And so it should be my colors. It should be my logos. It should be my core value posters on the wall. Right. And so I think there's really kind of there's room to explore this further. But I, I really see sort of like both the, the yeah the benefits and also the downside of strong branding in that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a, it's a valid point. And I think there's it's going to be dependent, potentially dependent upon the uh, the size of the company um, yeah. and, and some other variables. I'm just wondering if in the future we'll see the building have the the experience on it, like in the hotel industry where you see Marriott or yeah. Holiday Inn and mm -hmm. you, or Hilton, you know what experience you're when you walk in the door. The you, big difference, Caleb, there is that basically like when you go to a Hilton, you go to a Hilton, you choose to go to a Hilton. There's really no sort of like layer underneath that, but in in, in sort of flexible offices, there's the flexible office layer, there's maybe the building layer, but really underneath all that is the individual company layer. And those people come to work for that company. Don't, they don't come to work for Dreamplex or for Industrious or for WeWork, right? So I think that's where the branding can conflict a bit. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. And I, I just, uh, I, I imagine this world and, I, and, and I'm just, we're just sharing ideas here and I don't, we don't, I don't think we have all the answers just yet. But um, being that I'm a brand guy, <laughs> I yes. have to I have to I have to imagine. Um, it, does it make sense for a building to have the brand on it, and it not be? 
right now in the pa- right now and in the past, you had the building layer, and then you had the 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 flex layer, the co-working layer, and that layer was always small. But yeah. I think I think the there's four pillars of space as a service that should be wrapped around the customer experience of the whole building. So everybody that comes in that building experiences this hospitality and service layer. Basically, we are actually taking on uh, almost exclusively full buildings now. So we're not really doing the three or four floors in an office building. All of our upcoming projects are actually full office buildings. And so, again, what we're doing there is to say the overall experience should align with what people expect from us. Like, I don't need to put my logo on every single thing to deliver a brand experience, yeah. right? The best brands you would experience even when there's no logo, that's always sort of like the litmus test for a strong brand. Yes. yes. And so I want to do that part of the branding, but then on the building and for example, like on the gate, which is what we're doing right now in, in our newest location, it's our logo equally with the logos of the larger customers. Because it really is going back to the original name. It is a complex of different businesses that are in the same building and we just happen to operate it in the way that we think needs to be needs to be done. Yeah, and I certainly I certainly want to you know, stay in touch to uh, and, and maybe revisit this in a year to see how Dreamplex has grown and you know what you've learned. Obviously, Dan, you've listened to the podcast, I think every single episode. So you know how this quick mm-hmm. fire round works. Um, so my first question is what media or podcast do you consume to stay up to date on the latest industry trends? Oh, great question. So unexpected. Uh, well, first of all, I can obviously, uh, <laughs> I, I, I already uh, checked off uh, mentioning uh, Bolt, right? So, so yeah, obviously that's, 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 <laughs> uh, that's, that's one that, that we've checked off. Um, I would say that, you know, I listen to a lot of uh, HR podcasts because I think a lot of kind of what we do really mostly sits within what companies normally do to, do by themselves as strategic HR. Um, so there's a couple of HR podcasts that I listen to. Um, quite a bit, uh, including one that's called Reinventing HR, um, which is really good. Um, and then I love Business Casual by Morning Brew. Um, that's that's a really great one. And then I, and then I listen a lot to uh, This Week in Startups, which really you know teaches you a lot about uh, startups. Clearly, um, kind of like how they operate, how they build, you know, how they innovate. How do you not become stagnant when you're a couple of years into the journey? Sort of like all the um, you know, uh, barriers and mistakes that you that you get along the way. Um, so I listen to that one too. Excellent. We I will have to look some of those up and we'll put them in the show notes as well. Um, oh, then I definitely have to then I have to plug one more, which is called. There's a podcast called Acquired um, by these two guys called uh, Ben Gilbert and David Rosenthal. Um, I think they're both uh, VCs, and they basically do like two two and a half hour episodes on famous startups like who have. Kind of gone to IPO or somewhere around it, and they break down how they started from day one and everything that went along the way. Great, great, great. Oh great man, that sounds fascinating. I'm very interested in that one. There's a WeWork um, episode. Very cool. Okay, so the next question is: Who in our industry inspires you? Yeah, again, this is going to be super repetitive, but uh, you obviously, and then both Drawer and Anthony. You know, over the past year, just discovering the three of you. It's just given us so much in terms of ideas, but also just this drive of, you know, every single post that that comes from you guys just speaks about let's challenge the status quo. Um, let's not take things for 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 how they are. Where can we go? What's happening? Um, so, yeah, I would say that that trio uh, would, would be the three people that I would mention. Um, and then obviously on the other side, again, because I, I, I sit a lot in the sort of the HR side. I would say Laszlo Block um, from from Google, uh, very inspirational. And tangentially, I think Danny Meyer, uh, the very famous hospitality guy from Union Square Hospitality Group, uh, also has inspired us a lot, especially in elevating the, the hospitality side of what we do. Oh, that was fitting. I love that you referenced someone from hospitality that inspires you. It makes sense. Setting the table, the, the book Setting the Table is a must read for anyone who does anything related to this. Okay. The last question is, um, where's your favorite holiday destination? All right. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I'm uh, a good son, I should say that, you know, my favorite holiday destination is back home, uh, with my parents and, you know, I haven't seen them in two years because, you know, usually they visit once a year, but, uh, 
haven't been able in the last year. Um, so obviously I should say like going back home. Um, yeah, the weird thing is I live in basically the best holiday destination. So we can travel within the country and there's just so much variety in terms of what uh, Vietnam has to offer. So I think I actually live in my favorite vacation destination. Wow. No one said that before. So you are well, no where you one, want to be. No one is from Vietnam that you've interviewed, so that's why. <laughs> okay. And I haven't been to Vietnam yet. It is on my list. I do want to go, obviously, when we can. Um, but I'm looking forward to now. I'm expecting to mix in some business with pleasure and see your Dreamplex locations when I'm there. Sounds sounds great. We're, we would be happy to have you here. Well, Don, th thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate you sharing your insights. Um, certainly, thank you for the shout outs and um, all you do on social media. Be sure to connect with Dan on LinkedIn. Um, and his Twitter is uh, at D-A-A-N, so D-A-A-N works, W-O-R-K-S on Twitter. Um, Dan, any final words from you? If I'm going to put any final words, I'll have to say, put people back in the center. Uh, think about humans, not only square meters and dollars. Think about that too, but think about humans. So thank you so much for listening today. And until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at podcastsyndicator.com or Brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.